Well, throughout the years, my wife Christy has found great joy in surprising our family and her friends with special gifts that she would give to them. As a wedding gift, she cross-stitched for me a beautiful soaring eagle with my favorite Bible verse, Isaiah 40:31. And for many years, as our girls were growing up, Christy would surprise them by decorating their birthday cake with a theme that perfectly portrayed something they loved during that season of their life. And she would find creative, funny, and sometimes elaborate ways to wrap the gifts so that the gift would not be obvious to the person receiving it. She takes time to write handwritten letters to friends simply because it's nice to receive a handwritten letter in the mail once in a while rather than an email or an instant message. She enjoys crocheting an afghan or blanket and then surprising someone with it as a gift. This joy and thoughtfulness flow out of Christie's love for Jesus as she seeks to bless people and love them from a generous heart and a caring spirit. You know, to surprise someone, to bless them in an unexpected way. This can set the recipient's heart on fire and move them deeply. And it allows our expressions of love to linger a little longer and to sink a little deeper. Isn't that true? You know, today in our study of Luke's gospel, we're moving into Luke chapter 5, and in verses 1 through 11, Jesus is going to call the first disciples to follow him, and he's going to invite ordinary fishermen to become fishers of men. And he does so by first surprising them with an unexpected blessing. So let's walk through these verses together, and then we'll take a few minutes at the end to consider how these verses are still relevant for us today. In the opening verses, Jesus sees the fishermen cleaning their nets. He sees them cleaning their nets. Look at verses 1 through 3 with me. It says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So chapter 4, if you remember, ended with Jesus leaving Capernaum, though the people desperately wanted him to stay. Nobody wanted the guy who could heal instantly to walk out of town. But Jesus graciously explained. He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And so Jesus left to continue his teaching tour. And chapter 5 opens, saying, well, one day, Jesus was standing on the shore of Lake Gennesaret. Now, that's simply another name for the Sea of Galilee, which is more, uh, probably more how you know that body of water. And uh, it's a very large freshwater lake. It's 13 miles long, 7 miles wide, and 150 feet deep. It's a very big body of water. And the entire lake is surrounded 
by hills. And people often sat on the hillsides listening to rabbis teach. Well, on this particular day, a crowd was following Jesus, pressing in to listen to him as he taught the word of God. And you need to know that from this time forward, the crowds around Jesus would just continue to grow. Now, most people in the crowds, they just wanted to see a miracle because that's kind of fun. It's like the people who watch NASCAR racing hoping to see a crash, right? But there were others in the crowd who enjoyed Jesus' teaching because he made the scriptures come alive for them. He taught them in ways they had never heard before. And he taught with authority, and his teaching filled his listeners with hope and encouragement and inspiration. Well, as the crowd pressed in on this particular morning, Jesus found himself edging back towards more and more towards the water. And as he continued to teach, he began to kind of simultaneously look around to try and find a solution to the rapidly approaching problem. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen. And he had an idea. Jesus climbed into one of the boats. And this immediately caught Simon's attention because it happened to be Simon's boat. Simon, you remember, is another name for Peter. Now, Simon and his fishing crew were nearby washing their nets. You know, fishing nets frequently get clogged up and tangled uh, because of the weeds, and then they get torn because they're the, the debris in the water and then the weight of the fish when they catch them. And so each morning, fishermen must wash, dry, and mend their nets keeping them in good condition so that they're ready to be used again that next evening. Well, these fishermen had spent all night casting nets into the water and hauling them back in, only to find them empty, cast after cast after cast. And as morning arrives, these men who make their daily living selling the fish that they catch each night, these guys are frustrated and exhausted, and they just want to get the nets prepped and go home and go to sleep. So, when Jesus climbed into Simon's boat, let's just say that was not a real convenient time for Simon. When Jesus said to Simon, come, put out a little from the shore, he was asking Simon to stop working on his nets and come help Jesus with a little side project. More specifically, Jesus was asking Simon to reposition the boat a little further out into the water to help with crowd control. And this would help Jesus complete his teaching to the people, but it would also require Simon to be in the boat with Jesus, not getting his nets finished, not being able to go home and go to bed. This was not at all what Simon wanted to be doing right now. Now, Jesus and Simon, they knew each other already. You might remember last week, we learned that Jesus had been in Simon's home and had healed his mother-in-law. So when Jesus made this request, it wasn't a request coming to Simon from a stranger or a wandering vagabond. Simon knew who Jesus 
was. But it had been a frustrating and fishless night. And he just wanted the day to be done. However, Simon cooperated. And he got in the boat, pushed it off from the shore, and repositioned it out in the water. And Jesus sat down to finish teaching the people. And he used, Jesus was now using kind of the natural acoustics of the water to amplify his voice to the growing crowd. Behind him in the boat sat a bone-tired, sweat-drenched fisherman, possibly nodding off, maybe only half listening to what Jesus had to say. The text doesn't tell us that, but I've worked a lot of midnight shifts in college and then attended an 8 a.m. class, and so I can see a pretty high probability that Simon was struggling to stay awake. He had been up and working hard all night. Now, at the end of Jesus' teaching, Jesus does not ask Simon to row him back to shore, as we would have expected. Much to our surprise and Simon's chagrin, Jesus invited the fishermen to cast their nets. He invited them to cast their nets. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me. It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night, haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. So Jesus finishes up his teaching and he turns around in the boat and he looks at Simon and he has kind of this look of excitement in his eye and he says to Simon, put out into the deep water, let down the nets for a catch. You know, fishing in the deeper water as opposed to fishing offshore, fishing in the deep water required the bigger nets and it required more than one boat for the process. And so Peter must have wondered, does Jesus understand what he is asking us to do? I mean, Jesus' suggestion, I think, would have seemed ridiculous to Simon. The nets Jesus wanted them to cast have finally been washed and mended, and they're drying on shore. Hours of tedious work had been done, mending and washing and laying them out, and now Jesus wants to haul them back in the nets back into the boat and throw them back in the water, all that work will have to be redone again. And beyond that, Simon's crew is worn out. And after this long night they had just endured, they were not going to be any more motivated than Simon was to do this. They were ready to call it a day. But to do what Jesus is asking means Simon would have to enlist their help. And then further, there are no fish to be caught. See, night fishing was very common on the lake because fish are active and they're feeding up near the surface of the water. But by mid-morning, the fish have now retreated into deep water to avoid the heat of the sun. 
their nets would never sink deep enough to catch any fish at this hour of the day. See, what Jesus was asking them to do in Peter's mind, this just seemed crazy. The nets are clean, the boys are tired, and the fish are gone. So can, can you picture this? Simon and the other young men are experienced fishermen. They know this lake. They know fish. And they have spent all night laboring with nothing to show for it come morning. And now Jesus, a carpenter by trade, tells them to drop their nets in the water one more time. If there was ever a time when Simon Peter might exhibit some annoyance, it was right now. And maybe it's just my depraved imagination, but I can almost imagine Simon wanting to say to Jesus, Oh, great fish whisperer! There are no fish here. Haven't been any fish here all night. We have cast our nets a hundred times and we have hauled them back in a hundred times and they have been empty a hundred times. We've been at this all night, Jesus. And now you're asking these guys to put in overtime hours during the most unproductive fishing hours of the day. You know, when you talk to us about things of God, we hang on your every word. And if you ever want to talk to us about carpentry, like we are all ears. You have our full attention. But this is fishing, Jesus. And we know fishing. Been doing it since we were kids. We grew up fishing on this lake. We know it like our own backyard. No offense, but maybe you should stick to topics like faith and furniture and leave the whole fishing thing to us. Just saying, just saying, Peter would say. Yeah, maybe that's my depraved imagination because Simon, the text says, didn't say any of those things. He simply said, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And in that moment, what Simon wanted was for Jesus to withdraw the request. Yeah, you're right, sorry, we'll do it another time. But Jesus did not retract his request. You see, Jesus had also experienced all-nighters, only to have people demand his help the very next morning. And so he didn't retract the request, and so Simon agreed and said, because you say so, I will. Because you say so, I will. Now, the last thing Simon wanted to do was to go to all the work of loading up the nets into the boats, rowing a couple of miles out into the middle of the lake, cast the nets, and only to have them come up empty again. This was a fool's errand in Simon's mind, a complete waste of time for, all of his, for him and all of his guys. But he rounded up his partners, ignoring their grumbling and complaining, and he loaded up the nets and they began rowing out to the middle of the lake just to humor Jesus' request. And through all of it, Jesus sat silently in the front of the boat. He sat knowingly 
he watched as they begrudgingly let the nets down into the water again. The fishermen had no idea what was about to happen. But Jesus did. Look at verses 6 and 7. It says, when they had done so, when they had let the nets down, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. What a sight this must have been. Can you imagine their eyes wide with surprise and probably with kind of sheepish grins on their faces, right? They had not seen a fish all night long. And now their boat is lurching to one side as the nets begin to fill up with fish and begin to rip and tear. Simon starts barking orders and the crew starts scrambling and they're grunting and groaning as they strain to raise these nets into the boat. The weight of the catch was pushing the first boat nearly underwater. And so quickly they called their partners, bring the second boat. And when the second boat arrived, it too strained under its half of the load. Imagine the scene as all of this unfolded. It's the middle of the day. The sun is hot. They're out in the middle of the lake. And both boats are filled with fish. Jesus and the young fishermen in the boats are barely able to move around because it's all filled up with fish. There's no place to sit down. The guys most likely are yelling and cheering and high-fiving and slapping each other on the back. The lake of Gennesaret had never yielded a catch anything like this. This was a fish story no one was really ever going to believe, right? The heart of this story and the real reason Luke wrote it down, I think is found in these final four verses where Jesus calls the fishermen to leave their nets. He calls them to leave their nets. Look at verses 8 through 11. It says, when Simon Peter saw this, meaning the catch of fish in the boats, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. And he said that because he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And so they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. See, when the fish were finally loaded and the commotion and the chaos had kind of settled down, Simon looked around at the catch of fish just trying to take it all in. And then the reality of what he had just experienced began to dawn on him. See, Simon knew fishing, and Simon knew this lake. This catch of fish was far beyond extraordinary. Simon knew something supernatural had just happened. 
And then reality hit him full force. This man, Jesus, this was no mere man sitting in his boat. Jesus was not just another prophet or healer. Peter was in the very presence of God, the creator and sustainer of all things. In catching these fish, Peter had glimpsed God's glory. See, Jesus had performed a miracle perfectly designed to capture the heart of a fisherman. And it grabbed Simon and his partners as well. And the presence of God exposed Simon's heart. Because you see, in seeing more of God, we see more of our true selves. The more we see of God, the more we see of our true selves. God's holiness exposes our sinfulness. And in that moment, Simon was undone. And he fell at Jesus' knees and begged for mercy. Simon cried out, go away from me, Lord, which is not really what his heart wanted. But he was now keenly aware of his utter sinfulness, his absolute unworthiness to even be in Jesus' presence. And Simon knew that the unholy cannot survive in the presence of the holy. And terror seized him, not knowing what fate would await him in the next moments. And so in fear for his very life, he begged Jesus to leave. Some of you might remember the Old Testament prophet Isaiah had a nearly identical gut reaction when he experienced the presence of the Lord in the temple. And in that moment, Isaiah cried out, Woe is me, I am ruined! For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. See, both Isaiah and Simon Peter feared a fatal consequence when their sinfulness encountered the holy presence of God. But in verse 10, in verse 10, Jesus responded to Simon with words of reassurance. And I love this about Jesus. I love this. Jesus saw Simon fall at his knees and admit his sinfulness. He said, go away, I am a sinful man. Jesus saw all of that. He saw Peter's true repentance. He saw a broken and contrite heart. And Jesus responded to Simon with words of tender compassion, filled with grace and mercy. Do not be afraid, Simon. From now on, you will catch men. Surprisingly, Jesus does not go away as Peter requested. He doesn't even distance himself. And he does not smack Peter down with the backhand of judgment. Rather, Jesus invites Simon to join him. Join me in catching men and leading them into the kingdom of God and into a relationship with Jesus himself. 
In a way, Jesus says to Simon, follow me and I will give your life a whole new purpose and direction. In Jesus, in his response to Peter, we see a holiness that draws near to repentant sinners. Rather than retreating and making, creating distance, Jesus invites confessing and repentant sinners to join his mission, calling them to leave their nets and catch bigger fish. This invitation to join Jesus' mission is so unexpected and so captivating and so bold that it causes a man to leave everything for the sake of the call. Look at verse 11. It says, So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. See, the men carefully rowed to shore, their boats barely visible above the water. And when the fishing party made it to shore, they left everything. They left behind on the shore the biggest, most lucrative catch of their lives. And they followed Jesus. Jesus had not come to give them a successful catch and a handsome day's wage. He gave them instead a grander vision, a loftier calling, and he changed the purpose and direction and their priorities of their life forever, forever. Now, before I close, I want to help you to see how a fishing story from the first century is still relevant for our lives today in the 21st century. And so let me offer to you three application points. And I'm not saying these are the only three. The Holy Spirit may suggest other application points to you, but these are the three that the Lord brought to my attention as I prepared this week. And the first one is this. Complete obedience does not require complete understanding. Complete obedience does not require complete understanding. See, when Jesus first invited Simon to row out into deeper water and to let his nets down in the water again, Simon didn't understand. He didn't understand what Jesus was intending. He didn't understand the timing of all. It seemed like the worst part of the day to do this. In fact, Simon thought he knew better than Jesus how to catch some fish. But here's where Simon Peter gets high marks in my book. He gets high marks in my book for this. He completely obeyed even when he did not completely understand. He completely obeyed even when he didn't completely understand. You see his response? He says, because you say so, I will. Because you say so, I will. And I want to challenge you this morning to write those six letters down somewhere in your notes. B-Y-S-S-I-W. B-Y-S-S-I-W. Because you say so, I will. I want to urge you to write these letters down and put them in a place where you will see them on a daily basis. Put them on a bookmark in your Bible. Write them on the, a note card and stick it on your mirror. Put it on a sticky note and put it on your dashboard wherever you'll see it each day. And then every day when you see those letters, pray and ask God to give you the courage and the faith to respond with those words. Because you say so, 
I will. Because here's the truth. Sometimes the Lord is going to invite you into deeper waters. Sometimes he's going to lead you to take a step of faith that's bigger than you've ever taken before. Sometimes he's going to ask you to take a step of faith that defies your previous experience or contradicts your logic or ignores conventional wisdom. And like Peter, you can probably come up with a dozen reasons why this might seem like a bad idea. But I want to urge you to follow the Lord's leading. Let him be your Lord. You noticed what Peter called him. He called him master. And so I want to urge you to follow the Lord's leading no matter what the Lord is asking you to do. In the words of the great theologians at Nike, just do it, right? Just do it. Because here's the thing, friends. Here's the thing. We run the risk of forfeiting the greatest catch of our lives if we won't take a step of faith. We can miss out on something God has for us if we don't have the faith to respond just because we don't fully understand. We might not fully understand, friends, and that's okay. That's okay. B-Y-S-S-I-W. Because you say so, I will. Complete obedience doesn't require complete understanding. The second application I would draw for you is this. Jesus still invites his followers to set their sights on catching bigger fish. Jesus still invites his followers to set their sights on catching bigger fish. When Jesus said to Simon, from now on you will catch men, Jesus was lifting Simon's vision beyond the little fishing business that he ran on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus was inviting Peter Peter to pursue a grander vision with higher stakes and eternal consequences. In the early 1980s, Steve Jobs, the owner of Apple, approached John Scully, who was the president of Pepsi, and Steve challenged John with these words. He said, do you want to just sell sugar water for the rest of your life? Or do you want to join me at Apple and change the world? Now when Jesus said, come with me, I want to make you a fisher of men. Jesus was not saying there's anything wrong with the fishing business. Or any other honorable, lawful business. But he was calling Peter and you and me to give the best energy of our lives to the pursuit of something loftier than our nine to five. To give the best energy of our lives to a grander vision beyond binge watching our favorite sitcom. Now friends, listen, we can spend the rest of our nights, rest of our lives casting nets to catch little fish. We can. But Jesus is inviting us into something infinitely greater. We can be part of something so much bigger than ourselves. And today, this day, Sunday morning, March 27, 2022, Jesus is inviting you and he's inviting me, his followers, to set our sights on catching bigger fish. From now on, he says, you'll be, you will catch men. 
Now, if the idea of catching bigger fish appeals to you, I want to urge you to pray and ask God to bring to your mind the names and faces of two or three individuals who may not yet know the Lord. Just ask the Lord to bring to your mind names and faces. It might be family or neighbor, could be a co-worker or a friend. And I would encourage you to write their names down and begin to pray for them in earnest. I would encourage you to set your alarm and try to wake up 10 minutes earlier or stay up 10 minutes later before going to bed and give yourself time each day to pray for these two or three individuals. This is part of what it means to be a fisher of men. Ask God to stir up spiritual interest in that person's heart. Ask God to stir up spiritual questions in their mind. Ask God to begin softening their heart and drawing those people to himself. And ask the Holy Spirit to begin preparing the soil of the heart for the seed of the gospel. We have our Good Friday and Easter service coming in a couple weeks. Maybe the Lord would lead you to invite a person to come with you to one of those services. You know, research shows that many people will accept an invitation to come to church if they are asked by somebody that they know and trust reasonably well. Reasonably well. So what do you say, friends? What do you say? Jesus is inviting us to join him in his mission to catch men. And I want to plead with you, please do not settle for sugar water and sitcoms. Grab hold of Jesus' vision and join him in his work to change the world. Third and finally, the call of Jesus still requires us to leave everything. The call of Jesus still requires us to leave everything. Verse 11 says, when they had pulled their boats up on shore, they left everything and followed him. Notice, the guys didn't offer Jesus a senior partnership in their fishing business, right? Because Jesus wasn't looking to join their little business. He was looking for them to join his. And in this particular case of Simon and John and James, Jesus' call involved walking away from the family fishing business to become disciples and follow him. And these men would eventually become key leaders among the apostles who would be commissioned and then sent out by Jesus to personally spread the gospel around the world. Now, Jesus does not require every follower to give two weeks' notice and walk away from their career as part of their discipleship. It's not what Jesus asks. But he does require every follower to make Jesus the center of his or her life. Make Jesus the center of our lives. He's asking us or requiring us to rearrange our values and our priorities so that they serve Jesus. Leaving everything will mean leaving dreams and desires behind. It will mean long-range goals and plans are now only tentative because the Lord might lead you in a different direction. It will mean holding every possession loosely so that it might be used to serve him. And in those ways, the call of Jesus still requires us to leave everything. 
Yes, the Lord still calls some people into full-time ministry. He does, asking them to serve the Lord and his people around the world. But for most of us, for most of us, God's call to leave everything is a call to give Jesus his rightful place of supremacy over every decision and function and possession of our life. Friends, Luke records that the men left everything and followed Jesus. And I think he recorded that so that we might examine our own hearts to see if we have left everything for Jesus. And so let me ask you, is there any area of your life that you have not surrendered and yielded yet to the Lord? Is there any area that you were holding back from him, refusing to give up control? If so, I would urge you to pray the prayer that King David prayed when he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. And if there is any displeasing way in me, lead me back to your righteous way. So when Jesus called his first disciples on this day, he was inviting ordinary fishermen to become fishers of men. And he saw them cleaning in their nets, and then he invited them to cast their nets, and he surprised them with a bigger catch than they had ever seen before. And then he called them to leave their nets. And the call he gave to them is the same call he gives to us. He calls ordinary people like you and me to set our sights on a grander, loftier, worthwhile vision of catching men for the kingdom of God. And that vision will require us to leave everything, making Jesus and his mission the center of our life. And while we may not understand all of his directions completely, we are still required to obey completely. So may you and I be captivated and consumed by the call and invitation that Jesus is giving to the praise of his glorious name. Let's pray. And then the worship team will come and lead us in our final song. Heavenly Father, thank you for our morning together. Thank you for the time we've had to sing and pray and study your word and give and fellowship. We give all of this to you as an offering of worship. We thank you for your word, for, your, for you revealing yourself to us in its pages. I pray that you'd help each of us to be attentive to your call and immediately responsive to it, saying, because you say so, I will. Continue to lift our eyes to see the grander vision that you're calling us to join. That vision of catching bigger fish, catching men for the kingdom. Please bring to our minds people to pray for and invite to church with us. And Father, I pray that you will enable us to leave everything to follow you to hold everything loosely, to surrender every function and decision and possession in our life to your lordship. You alone are our God, and we are so blessed to be your people. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.